from the 37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 171 of Pixelated Paranormal. On this episode, we got monoliths and exorcists. Ooh, rhyming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited about this episode because we're uh, not only doing a follow-up on the monoliths, uh, which seems to be a really interesting saga, but also uh, kind of wrapping up on our chats about exorcisms, which will be uh, possibly a good thing. I'll get into that in a second. But um, at the top, I just want to say, I sent you guys a picture. You're probably wondering what the hell that Santa Claus picture is at the yeah. top of the dock. Um, so I went to my mom and dad's today, and my dad helped me change my brakes on my car before the snowstorm hits tomorrow. And um, that Santa Claus is one of those old school, like, I think it was from a company called Empire. That thing's from 1968. And it's, it's mid-century. Yeah, those giant plastic light-up, like, yard display yeah. decors. That's my single favorite Christmas decoration from my childhood. And my parents are like, yeah, we just don't really have room for that Santa anymore. So <laughs> I uh, I now own that Santa Claus. I just need to maybe get it touched up with the paint. As I say, you're going to touch it up with the paint? That's cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to. Yeah, it needs to be airbrushed at least. Um, so I got a couple of friends who do airbrushing, so hopefully I can get with them and get that thing repainted. But yeah, that's what that is. I wanted to show you guys a picture of that. Um it's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Should have put the seatbelt on him, but I'm just spitting. That's what my mom said, too. She's like, she... <laughs> and my dad started laughing because my dad has the same sense of humor I do. And he's like, it's going to be amazing to see how many people just look at you funny driving from Hayesville to Wichita. And sure as shit, they did, dude. Double takes, triple takes, weird looks, <laughs> <laughs> slack jaws. Oh, it's so good. So, yeah, I'll throw that in the dock uh, just so people can see it. But. Yeah, that's my bit of news. Uh, anybody got anything at the top here? Nah, not really. Uh, cool. Buddy Gillum let me borrow the Xbox Series X Monday through Friday since he works mm-hmm. some intense hours. So it's pretty cool playing with that. Thanks for that, bud. <laughs> You're fostering his Xbox? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, other nice. than that, nothing. Cool. All right. Presto, what you got, man? Oh, yeah. My, uh, my kid texted me the other day. He's uh, down in uh, South Carolina doing uh, construction stuff. He, uh, you know, wears the hard hat on a daily basis. And uh, he was like, you know, I'm listening to the podcast 170. And I said, you know what, num num, I'll have to give you a shout out next episode. And uh, he said he'd make sure he'd listen to this episode because when he's awesome. driving more than 20 minutes, we are one of the podcasts out of the three that he listens to that are on his rotation. So <laughs> nice. Awesome. Hey, yeah. what's up, dude? I haven't seen yeah. him in forever. It's been a long yeah. time. What's his name? Num Num? I used to call him Num Num when he was a kid. So oh. is yeah, that, is that short for something? That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's getting uh, Num Nuts. Yeah, I was just saying, that sounds like a Preston move. Calling his <laughs> son <laughs> Num Nuts. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> He's uh he's getting uh he's getting more uh more gold stars with me lately because uh you know like last month he texted me that he found a a uh, record player at uh, Goodwill and it was a really good record player and now he's getting into vinyl and, and then he oh, texted yes. me 
he texted me about the uh, incense that I used to burn down in the basement when he was a kid because he's like, man, that shit smelled the best. And he's like, what what scent was that? And I'm like, Nog Champa, buddy. Nog Champa. never go wrong with Nog Champa. That's right. <laughs> uh, at least you didn't say dragon's blood. Yeah. Like that. I like that's, dragon's blood, too. I know. That's just the, nothing wrong with it. It's just the one smell I always equivalent to uh, incense is because I always see it everywhere you go. Walmart, uh, For me, planet. it's Nog Champa. It'll always be Nog Champa when it comes to incense. Nog Champa. That's the OG, yeah. man. My parents would smoke so much weed. In when we lived in California, and then they would just drown the house with Nog Champa. So, like, God. to me, that is like a child. When I smell that, it's a childhood memory, and I bet it's the same same for your son. You know, it's only a, you're only a hipster if you do Dragon's Blood. Everybody else, Dragon's Blood. Otherwise, you're a beatnik burning up that yeah. Nog Champa. The smell, the smell that I always. Um, I'm about to light a motherfucking incense right now, believe it or uh, not. you fucking nerd. Here we the go. The smell that I relate to uh, marijuana Whoa, hold. You can't call is... him a nerd when you light a fucking candle every episode. Here, I got a candle going, too. Since we're talking candle scents, I'm currently burning a vetiver and cedarwood with bergamot, vetiver, amoise, armoise. We're burning up dressers, everybody, and cedarwood. Okay, I've just got a fucking one that says cloud. It smells like good fluffy clouds, if that has a smell. <laughs> yeah, right. right. I always, huh. I always um, relate the smell of Adidas cologne and CK one to marijuana, because that's what everybody in middle school and high school sprayed on themselves after they'd go smoke in between classes. And I get physically ill now when I smell those colognes. I was a good little boy. Didn't do drugs. Drugs. <sighs> yeah, I love incense. I like the smell of them. I've also yeah. got uh, my, what do you call them, salt crystal lamp things. Mm-hmm. Got one of them going, too. Bet you have a fucking lava light, too, don't you, nerd? Not in here. Not in there. Uh, the Shayla just asked me the other day if we should get a lava light, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we gave Steve one at some point. Why would you not get a lava light? No. Get a Mothman one. That'd be badass, wouldn't it? Make one. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of substances that alter your mind. I have a mission real quick before we get farther into the episode. Um, 903 Brewing, I was talking to them on Instagram. They do a lot of beers. Because we talk about beers, right, Presto? Are you drinking a beer right now? Yeah, I'm drinking a, a Bulldog Chocolate Stout from Three Rings in uh, McPherson. Nice. Um, 903 Brewing, of course, is one of my favorite breweries. They're out of Sherman, Texas. Anywhoozle, um, they make these beers called smoothies and these are like a real thick viscous like fruit pulp mixed with a goza so like a, a fruity salty beer and they've got this one called trash can punch with pineapple oranges passion fruit apricot and cherries now the reason why i bring this up is um through the podcast instagram page i follow them and they posted a tall can of this trash can punch and i commented on there because i've got a can of this stuff that's two years old um, I don't know what the shelf life is of this bad boy, but I asked them, you know, what are the odds of a two-year-old can of the trash can punch being still good? And their reply was, there's only one way to find out. So I told him I would try it out and report back. So I'm going to pour this boy in this cup real quick, this thick boy. Um... And give it a shot. It might be absolutely terrible, or it might be delicious. 
it looks like I'm pouring dirty dishwater into a cup because that's how these things look. <laughs> fruit juices <laughs> that are in them, but uh, still smells good. Here goes a taste test. Riveting. Oh man, <laughs> it's delicious. It's delicious. But yeah, anyway, uh, I told them that I would uh, try it out, and they asked me to report back. So. Cool. Yes, yeah, survey says pretty flippin' tasty. So that's good news. you got to keep awesome. these bad boys refrigerated because they go bad because of the fresh fruit inside of them. Oh, yeah. They don't let that happen. You know what else yeah. is uh, breaking news? Hmm. You and I won a contest. Oh, we did, yeah. On Instagram, which is wild. Yeah, um, okay, if you guys are remotely fans of horror movies or music or both, there's a guy on Instagram. I started following him myself personally a couple months ago. Um, the podcast, both podcasts follow him now. I think, Steve, you follow him as well. Yeah. He did this giveaway. His tag on Instagram, I believe his full-on you know, professional name is Ben Living Music. Look at him on Instagram, at Ben Living Music. But he does some really badass stuff with horror movie soundtracks. He'll take the soundtrack and the audio and the actual, you know, spoken parts, and he'll remix them all together, adding beats behind them and making music based off of actual clips from the music. And I'll play this a little bit here real quick. So that is from his first album called I oh should I should have looked at that Crystal Lake tapes, what that song's from or what we're getting. Yeah, sorry, that is from Crystal Lake tapes volume one. Now he did a giveaway on his Instagram page and it was for his Crystal Lake tapes volume one and also the Haddonfield recordings, which is a whole album dedicated to Halloween, and then also either a VHS tape of Psycho three. Or a VHS tape of Hellraiser. Um, all you had to do is follow him and tag somebody. I followed him a long time ago. I tagged Steve. Steve, Steve tagged me. Uh, and we each won. So, uh, can't wait. I don't know how many people. There was at least almost 100 people that had, you know, signed up, so to speak, for that giveaway. I couldn't believe Man. it. But it was badass yeah. because he messaged me and I, I was up early that day at work. I was like, oh, it's badass. And then... You know, I wasn't gonna be like, "Hey, can I get this one?" But he offered. He was, he was like, "Hey, you're the first one to respond, so you get first pick." And I was like, "Hellraiser." I know you rascal. Yeah, instantly, yeah. I like. I love that shit, man. I love Hellraiser. What's well, funny because I was talking to my buddy James. Uh, I want to say what's up to my buddy James from back home in El Dorado. James. Um, he and I were talking about horror movies, and he had just recently watched uh, Psycho again. And I was telling him that you and I, Steve, watched Psycho 1 and Psycho 2 at the uh, theater not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have never watched part three. I've heard mixed reviews and it kind of, you know, it suffers from that weird like 1990s sequel, you know, problem where it's just way over the top. But uh, yeah, I, was like, I was like, you know, I've never seen. Money. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I've never seen three before. I've never even actually physically seen a copy of three. So as luck would have it, I uh, I won a copy of Psycho 3 on VHS. So. Now I just got to buy a VHS player. VCR, some people call them. Wow, I can't believe I just said VHS player. Wow. Don't edit that out, Rube. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's enough chit-chat, guys. Why don't we get into some news? 
we got to give another heartfelt shout out to our friend Mindy. Mindy sent me in the pretty much almost the entire news updates here for the monolith. Last episode, guys, um, quickly, I'm sorry that came out late. Sometimes, once in a rare while, when you upload your show to the feeds, so to speak, um, for whatever reason, it just doesn't take them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we uploaded those, and Mark said it just simply didn't take the upload. So uh, episode 170 did come a couple days late. Sorry about that. But uh, anyway, this is a follow-up to episode 170's monolith news. So first off, what the hell are the monoliths, Preston? Well, some internet users wondered if it was planted there by aliens. Other thought, like Preston, it could be a tribute to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Some have reckoned the monolith may have just been placed there by dead artist John McCracken, who was a minimalist sculptor with an affinity for science fiction. And then somebody else said that they were a movie prop from, uh, like, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that thing, movie props aren't that good, aren't that good, especially... uh, you know, like and BSG aluminum. hasn't been on for years. Adam, yeah. you want to call in and let us know? Yeah, so <laughs> like, well, we'll be it? like, right, I know. <laughs> yeah, and when Battlestar Galactica was out, let's just let's get to it. The props weren't like Star Trek or Star Wars. They were they were kind of on the cheap <laughs> oh, yeah. side. Yeah, it's yeah. always been like a so I'm gonna call ghetto. bullshit on that mm-hmm. and say that that wasn't a uh, prop. So okay, well, and that's that part of Utah. It's very remote. It's very hard to get to. It is very famous for movies to be filmed there, and some people thought it could have also been a leftover prop from where they filmed part of Westworld there from HBO. So, while on Twitter, the David Zwiner Gallery, which exhibited several of McCracken's artworks since 1997, came out and said that they guarantee the mystery is actually a 100% bona fide McCracken sculpture. While speaking to the New York Times, the artist's son, Patrick, said that he was puzzled by the monolith. However, when he heard the news, he thought back to an evening in 2002 before his father passed away when his dad said he'd like to leave his artwork in remote places to be discovered later. When asked if he thinks his father was joking, Patrick said, no, not at all. I thought it was something that he would go and do. He added that his father was always inspired by the idea of alien visitors leaving objects that resembled his work or that his work resembled that of the alien visitors. The artist's son told the Times his father talked about creating art meant for remote places before his death. The theory is inconclusive, but David Zwimmer Gallery says it is indeed a McCracken piece. Later on, an update came through saying the gallery corrected themselves, saying it might not actually be a McCracken original, but instead a fellow artist's homage to the late artist McCracken. But then how do you explain the fact that it went missing in Utah and then, like, all of a sudden another one reappeared in Russia, like, two days later? Oh, Preston, don't you worry, buddy. I've got it. Again, I'm going to call bullshit on your theories, people. (laughs) you got to do better. (laughs) Okay, so... A few days later, like you just said, Preston, the Utah monolith just up and disappeared, and everybody was flipping out about it. Like, holy shit, what happened? Aliens, the aliens took it. And part of the problem with this Utah monolith was the fact that the government came out and said, 
we don't want anybody trying to find it. We're not going to give you the coordinates to uh, <clears throat> the coordinates to where it's at. Right. We don't want anybody trying to traverse this really, really dangerous terrain. And of course, you know, internet sluice quickly pinpointed where it was via Google Earth. Um, tons of people went and took selfies with it. You can peruse all sorts of Instagram, before, you know, hashtags and find photos of it. Yeah, before it went missing, like at least a hundred people visited it. Mm-hmm. But like the first, like I think fifteen, uh, like they got lost for hours. Like, oh, it's, for it's sure. Very dude. remote, and you, yeah, you have to like the closest roads, uh, like road area to get there is like, you know, you got at least it's like forty miles, but or forty minutes, but it's like it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. The way the guy was describing it is like Jesus. It sounds <laughs> dangerous as hell. Right. Well, from an hour ago via CNN. The mysterious monolith discovered last week in the Utah desert just disappeared. But it wasn't taken by aliens or government conspiracies. It was moved by another phenomenon. TikTokers. Colorado adventure and outdoor lifestyle photographer Ross Bernards told CNN he saw the monolith being removed by a group of four people last Friday night. Bernards, who has about a decade of experience in hiking and navigating deserts, set out to capture photos of the now world-famous monolith with a group of his friends last Friday, after determining the location earlier that week. After he and his friends reached the location of the monolith and had been taking photos for over an hour, they heard voices echoing through that part of the desert through the rocks of a different group coming around the corner toward the location of the monolith. Bernards assumed the group was, you know, just a bunch of other folks coming to take photos as well, but this wasn't the case. He says immediately they started really pushing on it, like throwing their whole body weight into it, said Bernards. It took them maybe three big pushes to get that thing to pop up just a little bit and then start turning on its side. As soon as they were able to pry the entire monolith loose, it fell straight on the ground and made a loud bang. They said it sounded like somebody had thrown their largest stew pot off a ladder as hard as they could. Once that happened, one of them said, this is why you don't leave trash in the desert. The group of four took the big pieces of the monolith and placed them in a wheelbarrow and said, leave no trace as they rolled away. According to Bernard's, The phrase, leave no trace, is a known principle in the outdoor community that encourages people who visit the outdoors to protect the environment environment by minimizing their impact. Bernard said he and his friends didn't stop the group from removing the monolith because they agreed that it needed to be removed because the area is not set up for that type of attention, but it's received tons. It could cause damage that would negatively impact the land. He said it's cool to see, but it just needed to go. The wilderness areas, Mother Nature, is the artist up there, and we need to leave her art to her. One of the individuals who helped move the monolith announced in a post on social media Tuesday that he and a team were responsible for removing the monolith on the night of November 27th around 8.30 p.m. Sylvian Christensen, who has almost 30,000 TikTok followers, posted a video of the monolith strapped to a wheelbarrow and carried it away with the faces of the individuals removing the structure blurred. The post has since been viewed almost 200,000 times on TikTok. They said, don't abandon your personal property on public land if you don't want it to be taken out. So, mystery solved, boys. That's garbage. <laughs> Why? What do you mean? There's just, no mystery anymore? Uh, no, just these 
these dudes mm-hmm. with their hashtag leave no trace, like them thinking there's some some warrior going in there and protecting the land, like mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know it uh, it draws like... an interesting line, like Preston and I talked about last episode. Um, if somebody installed that, that's art. However, the argument is it's illegal to install art in private property like that. But then my argument is that is part of the art itself. Part of mm-hmm. the art that you make is the response your art gets. Um, you know, so what about are inst- so what about like uh, um, I don't know. So why is it okay for these dudes to come in there and be vigilantes and take it out? Like why didn't they leave that up to if this is yeah. state property? Leave it up to the state to remove it if they seem fit. Sure, mm-hmm. I don't. Preston, what do you think? What do I think? What? I don't know. I thought you were about to say something. I think that that's <laughs> not. I'm not saying it's okay for them to remove it. I'm just saying that is part of the response of an installation slash performance piece. Um, reactions to art aren't always going to be legal per se. Um, it's just that's part of it. You know, if somebody walks up and hit it with a sledgehammer, caught it on fire you know, whatever destroyed it, damaged it, that's part of the response. It's not always going to be warranted or okay. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I am straddling a line here, a fence of whether that is okay to remove it, you know? Because what if it was extraterrestrial? Put that tinfoil hat on for a second. What if they just unleashed another fucking plague on the world or worse, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what if aliens came to Earth and they're like, oh, shit, there's a little crack right there, and something horrible is going to come crawling out of that from the bowels of the earth. Let's just put a cork in it and make sure nobody ever allows this evil to crawl out. And these dipshits just came over and just like popped it right out. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing you got to think about too, uh, Steve, which is part of their argument, is have you ever seen people going out into nature and doing rock stacking? Where you go to like a stream and yeah. you take the pebbles and you stack up and make, you mm-hmm. know, uh, balancing rocks and, you know, kind of unnatural ways or making circles or arches and stuff like that. Um, you've got artists like Adrian Gray, Andy Goldsworthy, who I freaking love, um, Bill Dan and several others. That's something they do as artists. And then part of the actual art itself is to see either A, how long it stays because of human interaction or B, how nature will respond to it. Um, yeah. He's got an arch at WSU, I believe. Gold Is that a Goldsworthy? Preston? Um, at WSU, the Arch? I think so, yeah. I want to say it's, it was that's too. The guy that does, that's the guy that does like the time-lapse stuff where like he builds everything that slowly degrades over time. Yeah. Sorry, my dog's got her squeaky toy. <laughs> that's adorable. Um, So, yeah, I think he – didn't he build an Arch at WSU and there's a tree underneath it and the long-term plan is to see how the Arch responds to the tree if yeah. it topples over or grows around it. Yeah. Luna Puppy, yep. give me that. And then there was a, another guy in the 80s. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. Mm-hmm. But he was like one of these up-and-coming sculpturists. And they were like, dude, you got to build a piece. You got to build a piece. We want it like in the middle of like Times Square. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, so I got free reign to do whatever I want, right? And they're like, oh, fuck yeah, man. Just, you know, you'll amaze us. And so he built this 50-foot solid iron wall. Um, that was like all (laughs) rusted and gross and it's like the ugliest thing that you can look at, but it's surrounded by like all these, you know, upper echelon, super rich people. And, you know, they have to actually view something negative in this space that they built up that was positive. 
and that's the reason why he did it. So he's like, gotcha. yeah, you told me I could do whatever I want. It's fucking ugly. And now you have to deal because it's going to get uglier over time. So <laughs> you have to incorporate this into your space. Good luck with that. New York, I'm out. Yeah. See, I love that response because part of our job as an art, I got to sound really uh, up my own ass here. <laughs> here we part go. Of your job, part of our go. job as artists is to make things that are pretty to look at. But typically you've got some kind of meaning behind your artwork, some kind of message. The thing that yeah. sucks is when you got a bunch of the fucking, you know, bourgeoisie coming up to you being like, oh, excuse me, Mr. Artist, please make something pretty for us to look at. We want one of your things. <laughs> and that response is perfect. Like, you don't value the art that I make. You just want a thing. Mm -hmm. You want a piece of me to put on display for all your fucking rich friends. So take that, rewind it back. Yeah. Well, part of the problem with the rock stacking too, Stephen, um, like these guys, hashtag leave no trace, is that as you're standing in the stream pulling up all these pebbles to make your pretty little arch or your statue or your your pile, you're disrupting nature. You know, we don't know what kind of ecosystem is built around those pebbles, what kind of tiny fish you're eating, you know, the moss or the algae that's growing in the bottom of these rocks. So then you turn around and make these things and then you disrupt the natural flow of a stream. And then also what happens, you know, if a, a big, tall, you know, six-foot pile of rocks falls over and crushes the head of a bear or a deer or something like that, you know, like that wouldn't happen. It's almost like an ironic butterfly effect. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. What gives them the right? I don't think they have a right. Um, but that's just, again, the response to the art, and that's part of the art itself. Well, it's okay, guys, because don't even worry about Utah, especially you, I still Steve. think you it's just... aliens. <laughs> Steven, you can sleep better tonight knowing that in Romania, another monolith has appeared several this one feet away. Fake as fuck, though. What? This one always looks fake to me. Uh, okay, I see. The new monolith has appeared in Romania a few feet away from the site of an ancient fortress. This is coming from Google.com. Thanks, Mindy. An almost identical structure to the now-famous Utah monolith has been found across the world in Romania. This one has what looks to be deliberate loop-de-loops scribbled and scratched on the entire surface face and stands about the same height as the Utah twin. The European monolith is only a few feet away from where an ancient decaying fortress once stood, according to the Daily Mail. It's still shiny silver and still quite reminiscent of a John McCracken sculpture. But this thing, um, the one in Utah, I think they said appears to be have appears to have been installed around 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. And what's cool to me is the way people are finding this stuff out is they are going to you know Google Maps and figuring out where this stuff is, and then just click, 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 click until you realize you know the structure is there. Um, in a 2016 picture, the pillar shadow in Europe can be seen surrounding rocks and vegetation in the area that had seemingly been clear. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting these things are being constructed. It's interesting that we're seeing these things pop up. But it also appears that just as quick as they pop up, they again disappear. Because, Stephen, maybe you should worry. The second middle monolith that popped up in Romania four days ago has mysteriously disappeared as well. The shiny metal monolith, mm. recently appearing in Romanian hilltops, disappeared on Tuesday. The nine-foot-tall structure, quote, disappeared overnight as quietly as it was erected last week, said journalist Robert Iosub from Zaire Piatra Numb <clears throat> newspaper. 
Now all that remains is just a small hole covered by rocky soil. No one knows where it came from or who put it near the town of Piatra Nimt four days ago, but the structure appeared on the same day the twin monolith vanished from the Utah desert. The original and subsequent disappearance of both monoliths remains a mystery, though a leading theory reported by the New York Times suggests the Utah structure was the work of artist John McCracken. So yeah, there you go. That's the newest right now on the Romanian monolith. It was there, it came, it saw, and it went. Hmm. But Steve, you said this one looked a little more cheap, not quite as fancy. Yeah, because of all the little swirly things on it. Yeah, it just, mm-hmm. it just, I don't know. This one just, to me, just looked like, oh, look, this is getting a lot of attention. Let's go do it over here. Yeah. Well, the good news for you, Steve, is that monolith in Romania is not the only thing that's been erected recently. And you guys might think this next story is poppycock. I see what you did there. But let's talk about this for a second, shall we? Open up the story, boys, so you can see this glorious, triumphant picture. German police have launched an investigation into the disappearance of a peculiar phallic-shaped sculpture from the mountainsides in Bavaria. The two-meter-tall, nearly six-and-a-half-feet-tall wooden statue was apparently chopped down over the weekend... The statue stood for years on the Grunten Mountain, southwest of Munich. Now all that remains to the monument is a small stump and some wood chips. It's not known who originally carved or erected the sculpture that looks like a penis, which has become a landmark on the 5,700-foot-tall Grunten Mountain, attracting many hikers to the area. Even online map services like Google Maps had to recognize the sculpture's status, designating it as a cultural monument. Nobody knows how the nearly 450-pound sculpture was hauled up the mountain either. One theory reported to the German media is that the sculpture was an unwanted birthday gift, carved by a group (laughs) of young men as a practical joke for a friend. When (laughs) When the present was rejected, they pulled it up side of the mountain on a sledge, leaving it for others to appreciate. The monument, which was placed on the mountain four or five years ago, has been left mostly untouched, but came to the attention of police after reports of its disappearance over the weekend. On Monday, police in in the Bavarian town of Kempton said they had opened an investigation, according to German news agency's DPA. But they don't know what they will do if the culprit gets found because they don't know whether or not this was a criminal offense. The mayor of a nearby Rettenberg, Nicholas Weisinger, said the disappearance of the sculpture was a shame. (laughs) Shame? Shame. Mysterious monuments have been making headlines worldwide in recent weeks, such as the Utah monolith and the now Romanian monolith. Weird. So there you go, guys. We've got disappearing monoliths, and we got disappearing wooden dicks. But what's interesting here is I don't know that uh, Mindy meant to have any kind of, you know, coincidence here, but Mindy, our main story on this episode actually takes place in Bavaria as well. Synchronicity. Well, speaking of synchronicities... Before we get started, let me tell you guys about that little teaser I dropped last episode when I told you that I was getting into some really strange synchronicities whilst researching and reading The Exorcist. 
So if you guys have watched the movie or if you've read the book, you know the main demon is Pazuzu. And Pazuzu was the demon of the wind. Um, he's that gnarly-looking guy with the four wings and the arms outstretched. Just Google a picture of him. We talked about Pazuzu plenty of times. Also, get your sage spray. So <laughs> as I'm reading this book, you know, they talk about Pazuzu and the ancient evil that uh, the priest fought and all that kind of stuff. And I'm reading the book. I'm halfway through. And then I close the book and I open up Instagram. Now, I haven't audibly said the words Pazuzu. I haven't done any recent searches for Pazuzu probably in the last two or three months. But you know, if you jump on Instagram and you go to the search icon, it opens up a stream of random photos based off of your searches, your likes, and your uh, search history, right? And all of yours on Instagram is nothing but cryptid shit. And greasy <laughs> aliens and ghosts and demons and shit. No, most, it's mostly artists and action figures and stuff like that. Well, I flipped through and like the second photo to pop up in the stream was an artist recreation of the statue of Pazuzu. And it's, I mean, it's a striking looking statue. I'll put a picture of him into the Instagram post and the Facebook post. It's pretty iconic. It's pretty gnarly looking, you know, and it just kind of, it struck me as like, holy crap. Like I kind of jumped uh, in the bathtub because yeah, I read the exorcist <laughs> soak in the bathtub. It gets weirder though. I'm a big fan of the gorillas. Um, I'm not the world's biggest fan, but I really, truly love the gorillas. We talked about them on a couple episodes back, how they sample a lot of the uh, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead tracks for their music. Well, the gorillas just put out like this omnibus art collector's, you know, coffee table book. Oh, it's tight. I was going to say their art is tight. Yeah, their very iconic artwork, um, for sure, um, can be seen on all their album covers and all their merchandise and stuff like that. Well, an ad popped up in my regular Instagram feed of the followers that I follow, or the people I follow. An animated um, commercial popped up for it, where it shows you the front of the book and it slowly rotates. When the back of the book finally turned around where you could see it, it's got a fucking cartoon drawing of Pazuzu on the back of this book. Sitting on top of what? Well, now the photo here I included for you guys to look at is just uh, a picture they use. Apparently, Pazuzu is part of their normal repertoire. <laughs> they they use it on merchandise. It can be seen at their headquarters. It can be seen on the side of their Winnebago. Apparently, look Pazuzu is a it's pretty a common icon they use. Is that but a, I had no idea. If you look at that picture, is that like is that a is that a phallic penis coming off of that? Uh... Oh, it is. It kind of, it's either a snake or a um, spiral wiener. Yeah. Old Pazuzu's got a spiral dragon dick, Steve. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, again, caught me off guard because I was not expecting on the back of this fucking art book to have a giant, you know, gold inlaid Pazuzu picture. <laughs> and anyway, it's I'm wild. reading I'm reading The Exorcist the next day, and it talks about somnambulist. Uh, possessions and zombies and stuff like that. The word sticks out to me because we talked about uh, somnambulism during the um, uh, zombie episode of 13 Nightmares. And I haven't listened to Mysterious Universe in probably three years. Another, I mean, that's the OG podcast. That's the podcast that kind of, you know, started started them all, in my opinion, as far as paranormal goes. So I thought, what the hell? I'm going to start on a random episode. I hit play, and they're like, all right, on this episode of uh, blah, 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 and they get in the story. And then they just bring up the story of somnambulist possessions. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's kind of strange. I was just reading about somnambulism and, and somnambulist possessions in The Exorcist. And then later that night, Shayla and I just turned on a random episode of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. 
and it's an episode about possession um, after the tsunami that hit Japan, and in particular about a um, Buddhist priest who has to oftentimes exercise this one woman who constantly gets possessed by the dead spirits of people who drown in the tsunami. So I thought, again, interesting coincidence of reading about it, we're talking about it, and here we are on Unsolved Mysteries talking about The Exorcist. Right. Now, here's one thing, guys, I have not Google searched yet. Ritualistic sex magic and devil worshiping. Now, as I'm reading and I'm finishing up The Exorcist, there's an excerpt in there where uh, Chris is looking up stuff in this book about, you know, the occult and everything. And it starts talking about ritualistic sex magic and also things that are done to desecrate, you know, the Holy Trinity. And it goes on a pretty detailed description of what they do in these, you know, ritualistic sex cult orgies and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, holy shit, that was graphic. It's very interesting. And I don't know if my Instagram can read my mind or read this book, but I closed the book, put some more hot water in the bath. I opened up Instagram. And what pops up in my regular feed? An artist I follow named Lifeform.co. Lifeform.co says some ritualistic art by this week's featured artist at KVLT underscore OV underscore SP3KTR. And it is a satanic devil worshiping ritualistic sex cult magic picture. That's a midsummer shit. It's fucked up. Yeah, straight up out of midsummer. And again, jolting, because I thought, what the fuck, again, I'm reading this book, and as soon as I open up Instagram, the, what I just read is popping up on my damn Instagram. You're going to get a so. demon in you. <laughs> uh, again, fun coincidences, <laughs> but it's stuff that makes you go, huh, maybe John Keel was right, and I should step back for a while, because the more I'm looking into this, the more I'm noticing it popping up. Leslie's going to show up. Outside your house, just spraying that sage all over your house. I'm going to be in the bathtub, and all of a sudden, I'm going to hear <laughs> the bathroom door open up, and she's just going to dump sage water in the bathtub. She'll cover <laughs> her eyes, and she'll dump sage water in my bathtub. Oh, uh, So, yeah, uh, taking a week off was kind of nice. I did finish up the book. If you guys have not read uh, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist, it's a solid book. The movie does a phenomenal job. The book is just that much better, but you guys should really Did you say Blatty? Laddie. Laddie, <laughs> and uh, again, serendipitously, I just finished the book. I need to rewatch the movie. And Shudder just dropped a brand new documentary about the director and uh, a deep dive into the making of The Exorcist. It just came out a couple days ago. So, And just so we're all on the same page, guys, on our main story for the episode, I did type up these notes. Where, Steve? Where did In the you? bathtub. Oh, you did? <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, where? What? Dude, I tell you what, the water and all. Yeah, I love a yeah. nice hot bath soak. Apparently, so you guys yeah. can light your incense. I'll just take a bath. So, Preston, you wanted to get into this story to kind of maybe wrap things up on possession. What really drew you towards this story? Anything in particular? Yeah, kind of a you know serendipitously the kind of what happened to you. Um, mm-hmm. I was at work and. Uh, I was dicking around on uh, YouTube and I came across, um, you know, like a, just like a story of, uh, you know, Annalise McKell and her exorcism. And then my associate happens to be German. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, Ooh, come translate this for me real quick here. I'm going to play these tapes for you. I want you to tell me what's going on. And 
Um, it's a very daunting task. So then when she went to break, uh, she found the, the complete transcript of it, mm-hmm. brought it back, and we discussed it a little bit. And then like a day or two later, you know, I too listened to Mysterious Universe, and then they started to happen to talk about that case. And I'm like, well, fuck it. At this point, it's like, you know, the shelf elves in the universe is telling us this has got to be one of the one of the cases that we got to cover. So yeah, shelf elves is another uh, word for the phenomenon of while you're researching and thinking about certain things very keenly, those things suddenly just kind of manifest. Yeah, to you. Wow, well, that's that's funny, man. Um, maybe you need to get yourself some sage spray too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, to round things out, then, we'll jump into the story of the possession of Annalise McKell. So in Annalise McKell's early life, she was born September in 1952 in Klingenberg, Bavaria, in Germany. McKell was raised in a strict Roman Catholic family with her three sisters and her parents, Josef and Anna. Annalise's parents had a previous child out of wedlock back in 1948 that brought a lot of shame to their family. So much shame for Anna, her parents made her wear a black dress on her wedding day just to further shame her for having a child before getting married. It's fucked up. The mother tried so hard to atone for her sin that she went to great extremes with her piety. By the time Annalise was born, she rejected the reforms of the Catholic Church And additionally, her father had considered becoming a priest, and three of her aunts were all nuns. So as a result, Annalise was naturally a sensitive girl, feeling pressured to atone for the sins of others around her, specifically including to try to make reparations for the sins of wayward priests and drug addicts. So she would sleep on the hardwood floor, especially in the winter, as a penance for drug addicts and fallen priests who themselves also slept on the cold ground at the train station and elsewhere homeless. She and her family also continued to attend Mass twice a week. In 1968, Annalise was 16 years old and still in high school when she began to suffer from strange convulsions during school. At school in the middle of class one day, she suddenly blacked out and began walking around in a dazed state. Though Annalise didn't remember the event, her friends and family said she was in a trance-like state. Later, court findings would have her experiencing her first epileptic attack in 1969. During that time, a neurologist at the psychiatric clinic in Würzburg diagnosed her with grand mal epilepsy. A year later, Annalise experienced a similar occurrence where she woke up in a trance and she had peed her bed. Her body also went through a series of convulsions causing her body to shake uncontrollably and also causing her bed to move around. And after that, she was formerly known as Miles Davis. (laughs) (laughs) Your pants is cool. I was like, where is he going with this one? (laughs) Right? Soon after, Annalise started experiencing devilish hallucinations while praying. She also began to hear voices in which these demonic entities would tell her, You are damned. After the second time that she had a blackout at school, Annalise visited a neurologist who diagnosed her also with temporal lobe epilepsy, a disorder that causes seizures, loss of memory, and causes you to experience visual and auditory hallucinations. 
And as we're going to see, that's often a pattern in possessions and mental health. They kind of go hand in hand. Having centered her life around devout Catholic faith, Mikkel began to attribute her condition to demonic possession. Mikkel became intolerant of sacred places and objects, such as a crucifix, which she attributed to her own demonic possessions. Throughout the course of the religious rites that Mikkel went under, she was prescribed antipsychotic drugs, which she may or may not have taken. In June of 1970, Mikkel suffered her third seizure at the psychiatric hospital that she'd been staying in and was prescribed anticonvulsants for the first time. The name of the drug is not known, and this didn't really bring about immediate alleviation of Mikkel's symptoms, and she continued talking about what she called devil faces, which she had saw during various times of the day. After her diagnosis, Annalise began taking medication for her epilepsy and enrolled in the University of Wurzburg in 1973. However, the drug she was given failed to help her as the year progressed and her condition began to deteriorate. Though she was still taking her medication, Annalise began to believe she was possessed by a demon and that she needed to find a solution outside of actual modern medicine. And as things progressed into 1973, Annalise began suffering from depression and she was considering suicide. Annalise told a physician named Dr. Luthi that she was having visions of Zifratzen, which is a German word for ghastly demonic beings. She also stated to another that she had begun experiencing horrible stenches, like human shit which at the time only she herself could smell. Can you imagine us walking around smelling like someone just shit their pants all the time? Right. Yeah, uh. fucking shit demons. And as this progressed, she said, she continued hearing demons whispering in her ears. She said when the demons would whisper, they would tell her, You're damned, and you will rot in hell. While she was praying, she concluded the devil must be possessing her. Her behavior became increasingly bizarre. She began tearing off her clothes at random times, eating coal, eating random bugs and spiders that would crawl across her bed or the floor. And at some time, she'd urinate while standing up and then jump on the floor immediately after and begin to drink her own urine. That's not possession. That's just my strange addiction. <laughs> You're, yeah, so <laughs> You're so gross. You're so gross. Being admitted to an unnamed psychiatric hospital did not improve Mikkel's health. Moreover, her depression began to deepen, and she grew increasingly frustrated with medical intervention as it didn't improve her condition. Long-term medical treatment proved unsuccessful. Her condition, including her depression, continued to spiral downwards. She became convinced that conventional medicine was no help. Growing increasingly adamant that her illness was of a spiritual kind, she finally appealed to the church to perform an exorcism on her. Annalise sought out priests to help her with the demonic possession, but all the clergy she approached rejected the request, saying that she should seek out medical help and that they needed the permission of a bishop to actually perform the exorcisms anyway. At this point, Annalise's delusions were growing to the extreme. In that same month, she was prescribed another drug, Olipt, which is a phenothiazine with general properties similar to those of Chlorpromiazine, parasiazine, which is used to treat various psychoses, including schizophrenia and disturbed behavior. 
Believing she was possessed, she ripped the clothes off her body again, compulsively performed up to 400 squats per day. She crawled under the table, she barked like a dog for two days straight, and she continued to eat spiders and coal. It was even rumored she bit the head off a dead bird and continued to lick her own urine off the floor. In November of 1973, Annalise started her treatment with Tegretol, which is an anti-epileptic drug. In 1975, when Annalise was 23 years old, an older woman accompanied Annalise on a religious pilgrimage vacation. After the trip, the friend of Annalise's family concluded that Annalise was suffering from demonic possession because she was unable to walk past certain icons of Jesus Christ and refused to drink holy water from a holy spring. She said that the soil of the holy land burned her feet and that the place reeked like human shit. So, I mean, if that's not a sign of a potential possession, I mean, again, yeah. this is a story of uh, mental illness and mental health, but those are definitely some interesting signs. Could have all been, you know, unfortunately, uh, side effects of her mental illness, but... During one particular Sunday in July 1975, Annalise and her boyfriend Peter decided to go for a walk around an area called Paradise Mill near Rollbach, just east of Klingenberg. They drove up the Paradise Mill, but during the period 1975, Annalise could barely walk without any help, because somehow the demons were able to, quote, make her legs like sticks, and she was only able to bend them with very much difficulty. After they parked their car and set out for a walk, because she had so much difficulty in walking, it was excruciatingly slow. But suddenly, Annalise stopped and dropped to her knees. Peter tried to communicate with her several times, but she was unresponsive and appeared to be seeing a vision. A few minutes later, Annalise stood up and shouted with excitement, I can walk! Look at me! I'm free! I'm free! Peter was amazed at the sudden change in Annalise's physical and emotional condition. He asked her what happened to bring about this sudden change. Annalise replied that she had seen the Blessed Virgin Mary. Unable to contain her excitement, Peter and Annalise rushed home to share the good news with her parents and her sisters. She ran upstairs and exclaimed to her mother, Mom, Mom, look at me. I can walk. I can jump. I can dance. The Mother of God appeared to me. As for Peter, he was completely stunned by Annalise's sudden cure and remained in the car for quite a while, completely dumbfounded at what just happened. Finally, she and her mother found a priest, Ernst Alt, who believed in her possession who believed in her possession. He stated that she didn't look like an epileptic in later court documents. Annalise had wrote to Alt, I'm nothing. Everything about me is vanity. What should I do? I have to improve. You pray for me? And also, she once told him, I want to suffer for other people, but this is just so cruel. Again, talking about how she would sleep on the floor in the cold winter nights, you know, just to kind mm -hmm. of restitute for those who were homeless. Alt petitioned the local bishop, Bishop Josef Stengel, who eventually approved the request and granted a local priest named Arnold Renz permission to perform an exorcism, but ordered that it had to be carried out in local secret. An exorcist in a nearby town examined Mikkel and returned a diagnosis of demonic possession. The bishop issued permission to perform the rite of exorcism according to the Rituale Romanum. 
written in 1614. She and her parents were convinced that she was possessed. After years of unsuccessful psychiatric treatments, they gave up on medical treatment and chose to rely solely on exorcisms for healing. The rites of exorcism were performed over the course of about 10 months in the year of 1976 on Annalise. A total of 67 exorcism sessions were held, one or two each week, some lasting for up to four hours at a time. Mikkel at this time was refusing medical care, refusing to eat, and also talking about her death being a final form of atonement for the other sins of other people. The rite of exorcism was performed on Annalise Mikkel for the first, but by no means last time, by Father Renz on September 24, 1975. Over the course of her various sessions with the priest, Annalise revealed the name of many of the notable demons who possessed her. Over the next 10 months following the bishop's approval of Annalise's exorcism, Alt and Renz conducted 67 exorcisms total, some lasting for up to four hours. Ugh and remembered that during the time, the smell that she described would follow her around, that smell of, you know, human fecal matter. During these exorcisms, others in her family and the priest would also smell that horrid stench during the time she was losing consciousness and being overtaken by the demons. Through these sessions, Annalise revealed that she believed she was possessed by six separate demons. Lucifer, Cain, Judas Iscariot, Adolf Hitler, Nero, and Fleischmann, who was a notable, disgraced priest. All these spirits would jostle for power inside Annalise's body and would communicate from her mouth with a low growl. The demons would oftentimes argue with each other, with Hitler oftentimes saying, Yeah, people are stupid pigs. They think it's all over after death. It goes on. And Judas saying Hitler was nothing but a... A big mouth, yeah, who had no real thing to say. Throughout these sessions, Annalise would frequently talk about dying to atone the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church. And during another exorcism, Lucifer said through Annalise... Today, hardly anyone believes any longer in the Immaculate Conception and the Church. At present, most believe is only a community. The modernists are killing it ever more. We are hard at work at this, and we throw much poison to the Church, so it must be discredited. By now, those who believe in the Church and are faithful and believe in her teachings are very few. The Rosary, they think, is modern. Many believe after life everything is finished. These are very many, and they live accordingly because they do not pray any longer. Sins reach heaven, but the thing will not last long. The one of 1917, the Blessed Virgin Mary at Fitma, said it, but only a few listened to her. Death, tribulations, and famine. Oh yes, they will surely come again. And during Steve, yet another... In- what? I said, Steve, that's the most humbled Satan voice I've ever heard anybody <laughs> right. do. Right. I mean, if we're comparing cards here, that was the most French-sounding Hitler I- I've ever heard. Oh, <laughs> French. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, we drink oh. our own pee and we eat the baby. Oui, oui. <laughs> no, it sounded fine. And during yet another encounter with the possessed Annalise, the priests were yet again met with more demons. We are damned eternally. Out, out. We wish to come out. We cannot bear staying in here any longer. That 
filthy slut stays the whole day in the church. We are damned. Damned. Yeah, then come out, yeah. Dirty demon. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty demon. Oh, God. We cannot, because he does not allow it. The one up there, that one does not want it. He wants us to remain. We want to get out from here. Get out of her. Who goes to communion? I'm like Christian Bale. <laughs> <laughs> and she does go every day we cannot bear this we wish to come out 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 we wish to come out but the one up there does not allow us yeah this is where i sprinkle the holy water on you yeah <laughs> god so what's interesting here too is that like i mentioned earlier annalise had an issue with bending her knees Part of that problem is she oftentimes would break the bones and rip the tendons in her own knees. That way she could not continually kneel during prayer. And you can read all sorts of, you know, accounts and firsthand witnesses talk about how her knees were just messed up, man. Wow. There were rumors at first, you know, the demons wouldn't let her. Um, that her knees were just basically straight all the time. And then there were times when they talk about how she would, you know, they'd walk in the room and she'd just be going nuts, just tearing at the skin of her kneecaps. On one occasion, Father Rents brought in three unmarked glasses of water, one containing holy water from Lourdes, one containing San, uh, one containing water from San Damiano, and the other just basic tap water. When Annalise picked up the water from San Diamano, she stated, Sandiamano shit water, and then put it aside. She then drank only the tap water. On July 1st, 1976, Annalise McKell died in her sleep. The autopsy report stated that at her death, that her death resulted from malnutrition and dehydration due to almost a year of semi-starvation during which time the rites of the exorcisms were being performed. Annalise was emaciated and had contracted pneumonia. Exhausted from the brutal exorcism sessions, suffering from fever and weakened from not eating, Annalise died of starvation and dehydration, weighing only 68 pounds. Ugh. When she died, she was only 23 years old. After an investigation, the state prosecutor maintained that Mikkel's death could have been prevented even one week before she had died. He charged all four defendants, Pastor Ernst Alt and Father Arnold Rentz, as well as her parents, with negligent manslaughter for failing to call a medical doctor to address her eating disorder. After her death, Annalise's story became a national sensation in Germany, after her parents and the two priests who conducted the exorcisms were all charged with negligent homicide. They came before the court and even used a recording of the exorcism to try to justify their actions. The priests were defended by church-paid lawyers, and the parents were defended by Eric Schmidt-Lechner. Schmidt-Lechner claimed that the exorcism was legal and that German constitution protected citizens in the unrestricted exercise of their religious beliefs. The defense played the tape recordings of the exorcism sessions, sometimes featuring what they claimed to be demons arguing used as proof that Mikkel was indeed possessed. 
Both priests presented their deeply held conviction that she was indeed possessed and that she was finally freed from, by the exorcism, just before she died. And we'll actually play some of that tape here for you guys. So in the end, the two priests were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence and were sentenced to six months in jail, which later would be suspended, and three years probation. The parents were exempted from any punishment as they had, quote, suffered enough, which was a criteria for sentencing in German law. There was a statement from Father Alt which shows that possession was the consensus of all the priests who knew Annalise Mikkel. He said, As her spiritual director, which I was from 1973 to 1975, I cannot allow that her terrible possession and her conscious acceptance of this as expiation for sin, which both Father Renz and I have established, be passed over if it were some theological accident. Annalise McKill was possessed. All the priests who took part, Reverend Ferdinand Habiger, Reverend Carl Roth, Reverend Edward Hermann, and the expert on the case of exorcism, Reverend Adolf Rodwicks, were all of this conviction. Now, with the help of our friends Joe and Samantha, from the Under the Marquee podcast, we put together, in addition to the help of Preston and your associate, a bit of an English translation of the actual tapes. We've taken the transcripts, uh, we found translations. Um, Preston, again, I don't want to say her name for, you know, just anonymity, but uh, she did some corrections on the translations. Yeah. And so we have for you guys here an excerpt of what just went down in some of the, what, 56 pages? Yeah, the um, this this came from like one of the last exorcisms before she died, and mm -hmm. it was a two and a half hour recording, so it ended up being fifty nine pages of transcript. So, gosh, Damn. just yeah. in that one session, yeah. Jesus. Well, we've condensed down and given you a sample. I think it's about probably fifteen or so minutes, but uh, 
Yeah, thanks to uh, Joe and Samantha, guys. Enjoy, and we'll be back in just a bit. took place in Germany in early 1976. The German priest Ernest Alt and Wilhelm Rentz said they conducted the exorcism rites in a church-approved attempt to free Miss Mikkel of demons after four years of medical treatment that failed to cure her epilepsy. A total of 67 exorcism sessions were performed, one or two each week, lasting up to four hours during a 10-month period from 1975 through 1976. What you are about to hear is a recreation of one of those exorcisms, taken directly from a recording from Priest Ernest Alt. It's the month of the rosary. You know that? Yes. But the fewest pray. Fewest pray? Yes. In the church, all too pray, because the priests think it's unfashionable. Yes? Yes! All of them? Almost! If only the dumbasses had a clue. Why do you fear the rosary? Why? 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 Yes. Why? Because it's... Because? Because... Because it is... No, I will not say it. Tell me this. By God! Because it is so strong. We... Shut your mouth! Because it is a strong weapon? Yes! And get Satan. Yes. Yes! And all demons? Yes, against us. I must say it. The rosary is a powerful weapon. Against... Yes! Against Satan and all demons? But many do not believe it. They think it's the, the thing for women, unfortunately. And whose fault is that? We are. You are? We are? <laughs> Yes. Yes, I I ensure you. Yes, I ensure you of it, but this above all. But command from him above. Tell more, demon. Shut your mouth. Say more. I command you. Yes. The priests, they... They must... I won't say it. More. I command you, in the name of the Holy Spirit. They must be recognizable as priests. They are... They also may not get married by command, and if they have done that, they are no longer to serve the church. Why not? Because! Say more. I command you. No, I am Nero. I am the third of the bunch. You must go with the shit cassettes and everything else of the asshole up there in Wurzerberg. Then he must give it to the people. More. Shut your mouth! You should shut your mouth! Tell more. I command you, demon. No! More. More, demon. I command it. The pastors must preach again from pulpit that I exist and not mislead the Dutch bishops are heretics. Heretics! So that's enough. No. Not yet. Tell me everything. In the name of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. No, you motherfucker! You cocksucker! 
I command you, impure spirit, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Mary, in the name of the most holy trinity, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. You must say everything that you have to say to me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. The Mother of God compels you. In the name of Jesus, and the, in the name of Mary. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son. That abortion. And the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Tell everything. Everything in the name of the Father, and the Son. Is murder. Father of lies, speak the truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Yes, yes, I am the father of lies, and I will say no more. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Mary, I command you, speak the whole truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yes, that you must carry that shit thing, for example. You must recognize as priests, and the people are supposed to go to confession. In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command you, uh... Oh no! That shit thing! I will chuck that shit thing right out! In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command you, unclean spirit, to tell all! I am not unclean! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen! In the name of the Father, in the name of Mary, I command you, unclean spirit, to tell everything! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost! Yes, that shithole in there is real. That shithole up there. Bitch hole. I will tell you. In the name of Jesus. No! And in the name of Mary, I command you to speak the truth. No! Father of lies, speak the truth, and in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Father of lies, speak the truth, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. In the name of the Father, and, the, and of Mary, I command you to tell everything. In the name of the Father, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Shithole! In the name of Mary. Shithole! Yes. Do you have anything else to say? Father of lies, speak the whole truth. You bastard, you're doing it again. And of the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. I command you to say everything that the bishop must know. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. What must he know? In the name of the Trinity, speak the truth. In the name of the Blessed Virgin Mary, say everything. <laughs> I have nothing more to say. In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command you to tell everything. I must communicate to the bishop. You're wrecking everything. In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command you to speak the whole truth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command... You're wrecking everything! In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command you to speak the whole truth. And in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Yes, it will get bad, very bad. Worse than the last two times. Where will it be bad? Here in Europe. Where in Europe? In Europe. Where in Europe? You bastard, you fucking cocksucker. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Oh, that bastard, that motherfucker. I command you, in the name of Jesus. 
I'm leaving soon. There are more of this kind. Like this snot-nosed brat. More, more to come. In the name of Jesus, and then in the name of Mary, I command you to speak the entire truth. Everything you have to say. I command you to say everything. I command you to say everything the Bishop of Wurzburg has to know. In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary. That's enough, I'll say no more! I command you to tell this entire truth, father of lies. You bastard, you fucker. Tonight I'll shut you down too, you bastard, you fuck. Tonight I'll shut you down too, I'll tell you that. The bastards too, the ones out there. In the name of Jesus. And in the name of Mary, I command you to speak the whole truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Additionally, there are six of us. In the name of the Trinity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and the Blessed Virgin Mary, tell me, when will you leave? I command you to speak the truth. When will you leave? In 20 years. When it cracks, when it cracks, I won't tell everything. He doesn't want the dog. I would poison you if I could, you, you. In the name of Mary, and in the name of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, and in, in the name of Mary, I command you, in the name of Mary, and the Son of the Holy Ghost, amen. My guardian angel will force you to say it. My guardian angel will back me up. The guardian angel of Annalise will command you. You will have to say it now. Where is Annalise's guardian angel? He is here. Next to us? Is he here next to us? Go away from me! Where is he? Here! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen, does Nero have something to say? He has nothing to say. He has nothing to say? Where are the other three? Hidden. I won't take them out. Because they don't know anything. In the name of Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command you, unclean spirit, to speak the truth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. In the name of Jesus, and the most blessed Virgin Mary, tell us the truth. The whole truth. We call upon our guardian angels, and ask the queen of the angels to compel you to speak the truth. How many of you are there? There, there are six. And how many I ripped out crosses everywhere. <laughs> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, Amen. You mean in the schools? Are you Hitler? <laughs> yes. <laughs> ripped out crosses everywhere. Did you put crosses in the battlefields? Did you put up crosses on the battlefields? Are you Hitler? Speak the truth. No. In the name of Jesus, I command you. So then, not Hitler. Why are you lying? In the name of Jesus, speak the truth. In the name of the Trinity, speak the truth. Who are you? Hitler. Prove it. In the name of Jesus, I command you to speak the truth. Is Cain with you? Is Cain with you? Our guardian angels will compel you to tell everything. Through the intersection of the Queen of Angels, you will tell everything. I am Cain. So there are four of you. And Hitler? Hitler lied. Say it clearly in the name of Jesus, in the name of Mary, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Yes, I am also here. Who? Hitler. In the name of...
Lord Jesus, and in the name of Mary, I command you to tell everything. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. What else did Hitler do? When did you pick him up? After his death, he killed himself. Suicide. <laughs> How? How did he kill himself? Was it poison? No. Shot down? Hanged? By bird. He burned himself to death? <laughs> yes. You continue to lie. You are continuing to lie. I command you, unclean spirits, to speak the to speak. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. We call the angels for help and ask the Queen of Angels to command you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Ask her who is in your asshole, apparently. You are saying nothing more than lies and filth. Filth from the mouth of Lucifer, the dirty pig. He's pestering us enough, the son of a bitch. Lucifer is pestering you? Yes, now he has to come clean, the bitch, the fucking cocksucker. Then let him come clean. He shall speak the truth. No. In the name of the Trinity, I command Lucifer to speak the truth. Never, I'll kill you all first. It's going to take a while before I come up the dirty water away. There is no dirty water. This is holy water. Scum water. That is holy water. Scum that water. That is holy water. Why are you afraid of holy water? No. Ah. How well you can lie, Father of Lies. Speak the truth. Say everything you have to say. That shit scum water. That damnable scum. Ah. Ah. That's what that him up myself. You picked him up yourself? Yes. Do you need such a friend? Yes. And what do you get for that? Yes, now he is in my service. Damned? Yes, he is damned. And you are to blame for that? Yes, he could have saved himself, the bastard. He was so fucking stupid, didn't follow him. There, that one. That one? Whom do you mean? The holy archangel, Michael? N no! The savior? Yes, he didn't follow him. Him, him, him! Jesus of Nazareth. Yes! Yes! Him? Say his name. That, that won't work. Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't follow Jesus of Nazareth? Had he followed the Nazarene? Would he not be damned if he had also been forgiven? Yes. Even from the cross, too? Yes, he always forgives. Jesus the Nazarene, he always forgives. Yes, for us there is no coming back. Never! For all eternity. No one comes back. No one comes back. It's a most blessed virgin. She compels you to speak. She compels you to speak what she would like to say to us. You bastard. Motherfucker, you. The most blessed virgin compels you to speak what she will say to us. I will create. I will also still create disorder, you dirty pig, you fuck. The most blessed virgin Mary would like to command you to tell us what she would like to say to us. That sow and 
I must go back up to that other one with that whole mess of shit. I will explode so much confusion and create much strife that all won't be able to stand it. The holy water, the blessed water, why do you not leave? Because I enjoy being with you. <laughs> the blessed Virgin Mary. She is never the same anyway, because I'm hanging out in here along with the others. In the name of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, in the name of the Most Blessed Virgin, I command you to tell me, what's the best thing one can use to expel you from the sick? Through prayer? By reception of the sacraments? By holy water? All of that. All of that? So there are many ways to get at you. At that moment, the room grew a little warmer. Life seemed to flow back into the child, and for the first time in days, clarity seemed to wash over her. This is actually, um, not so bad. You know, when it's cold, yeah, as it was during the week, I had to shake something fierce, and at night I'm, I'm not really allowed to cover up. That's something, isn't it, Father? He has demented more, no? Yes. It is absolutely possible that, uh... Father, I would never have thought that it have gotten so brutal and so hard. Yes. I always thought, yeah, I, I wanted to suffer for others so that they won't go to hell. Except that that place is, you know, so evil and so brutal and cruel. And so horrible. No! After a final scream of terror, what was once Annalise McKell was no more. Darkness shrouded the room and the girl's soul. On the 1st of July, 1976, Annalise McKell died in her home. The autopsy report stated the cause was malnutrition and dehydration due to being in a semi-starvation state for almost a year while the rites of the exorcism were performed. She weighed 68 pounds, suffering broken knees due to continuous gentrification. She was unable to move without assistance and was reported to have contracted pneumonia. All right, there you go. Again, thanks a lot, uh, Preston, to your associate for helping us, and also yeah. to Joe and Samantha. Guys, please give Under the Marquee a listen if you enjoy movies. And it was sure. really fun listening to uh, Samantha cuss Joe out like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, a little odd because they're such good friends. And <laughs> oh, what we do for the art. Yeah. And guys, I think it's worth mentioning here that clearly this story is just as much, if not more, a story of mental illness. Um, so it's very important, guys. We want to drop a couple phone numbers here for you guys. The National Helpline for Mental Health is 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. That is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year treatment referral and information service in both English and Spanish. For any individual or family facing mental and or substance abuse disorders, and guys, there is no shame whatsoever in asking for help. Yeah. Word. And, uh, and also, oh, go ahead. 
I was going to say on the topic of like mental health, I, I think um, this is kind of like one of those things where like in modern times we have so many doctors that just want to treat everything with like medication <clears throat> mm-hmm. and that sometimes medication doesn't really help. And so within like the last decade, there have actually been numerous psychologists <clears throat> that have come forward and said, okay, so these medications aren't working. It's almost like a placebo, even though we don't, you know, believe in the religious aspect of it because the patient mm-hmm. does, we're going to treat it and we're going to do an exorcism. And, you know, there've been case studies where they've exercised 20 spirits, 20 demons from like one person. And that person was wow. you know mentally able to get better. So, you know, they attributed it science wise as like multiple personalities, but they actually treated each one of those personalities as a demon and exercised it from the person so they could have a normal life while being under, you know, a a medical watch so that certain things didn't happen. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I think we're getting a better understanding in this topic in modern times and able to get people to the help that they need without having that stigmata about, oh, you're just crazy, you know, there's no such thing, like, people are actually getting a help that, you know, that they need now, so. Um, you meant to say stigma, didn't you? Yeah, stigma. <laughs> Not to make light of what you said, stigmata would be if somebody's palms and feet were bleeding, just wanted yeah, to point that right. out. Right, well, that's <laughs> because, that's because uh, when we get to the movie talk, uh, I was, I was going to read, like, the last part of the synopsis, which talks about stigmata. So oh, it was, it was, okay, it was gotcha. on my mind. Yeah, okay, my bad, I didn't want to make light of it, but, uh. Um, the other number we should probably list here, guys, very important, uh, perhaps more important, is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. And um, this is from the website, but also, I mean, I think I fully believe this. We can all help prevent suicide. The Lifeline provides a 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress. Prevention and crisis resources are all available for you or loved ones. Now, something very important here. This is not active yet, but apparently the president signed the National Suicide Hotline Designation Act, and supposedly in 2022, they are going to streamline into a new three-digit phone number, just like 911, mm-hmm. which is also equally as important. If you need it, never hesitate to call 911 for any kind of aid. Or, I mean, if you're feeling down, if you think you might hurt yourself, 911 is just completely as acceptable to call. Um, there will be supposedly a three-digit phone number that will be activated by 2022 that will actually um, be in place of this suicide hotline. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I hope that yeah. uh, that gets done. That would save a lot of lives. Yeah, it certainly could, man. It's it's very important. Very, very, very important. All right, to wrap things up, we all know, or some of you might not know, the possession of Annalise McKell has inspired a couple of different movies. Presto, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so the main movie that it inspired was The Exorcism of uh, Emily Rose, mm-hmm. which... Either that's one of those movies, either you love it or you hate it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the opening scene, and you know, it flashes across like this is based off true events. And, you know, Hollywood takes a lot of liberties sometimes, like with movies to make it, you know, translate a little bit better. But mm-hmm. this, you know, the plot, I want to read this last part of the plot of that movie. So 
if you haven't seen the movie, spoilers, okay? You probably should have watched it by now because that movie's like, you know, 15 years old. So, um, basically, you know, a girl gets possessed. Catholic priest goes in, tries to do the exorcism, and then it fails. He's on trial. She dies. And so this last part of the plot takes place after her death. And it goes, the next day, Father Moore takes the witness stand again and reads a letter that Emily Rose wrote days before she died. On the morning after the last exorcism, Emily was visited by the Virgin Mary in a field near the house and was permitted uh, the choice of ascending to heaven. However, Emily chose to endure her suffering and later received stigmata on her hands. Father Moore uh, does not interpret the marking as a divine sign, but rather as a trace of self-inflicted injuries. The jury ultimately reaches a verdict of guilty, but surprises the court by asking uh, Judge Brewster to give a sentence of time served. Although momentarily shocked by the suggestion, Brewster ultimately accepts it and Moore is free to go. Bruner is offered a partnership at her firm and declines. Later, Moore and Bruner pay a visit to Emily's grave and Moore states that the time will come where Emily will be declared a saint. So in that uh, translation that we talked about with uh, Joe and Samantha, you hear them refer to the Virgin Mary a lot, and the Virgin Mary was supposed to be her guardian angel. So I think that in that movie, they did a really good job, you know, liberties and all, of kind of portraying maybe what happened. But at the end, when they talk about her becoming a saint, even to this day, um, thousands of people every year flock to Annalise's grave and, you know, place holy water rosaries mm-hmm. and they actually make this journey to go pay the respect because it is like the what most well-known case of exorcism and um you know the priest that performed it did a really good job of getting that information out which is kind of what she wanted she wanted people to know that she was possessed and what was going on so mm-hmm. i think hollywood did a good job i like the movie i think everybody mm-hmm. should go watch it yeah I need to rewatch it. Um, kind of knowing a little bit about this case, I think it kind of do me some good to rewatch it. But I enjoy. I love it. that. I, I love good. the movie. I love the main actress that plays Emily Rose. Uh, I can't remember her name right now, but she was married to. She was in Dexter. She was married to Michael C. Hall, who played Dexter for a while. She's got oh. an incredible scream. Oh yeah, she played in the uh, record movie Rick, mm-hmm. which is a remake of the Quarantine or not. Uh, yeah, she played in Quarantine, oh, yeah. but it was a remake of the... the. Yeah, yeah, you're uh, right, you're right. I had it backwards, man. Oh, yeah. And then um, one thing that they talked about that I thought that was kind of interesting, because, you know, a lot of people to this day, especially on the medical side of things, they, they always said that, you know, the priest kind of failed her because it was, you know, mentally something going on. Um, but somebody, uh, like an author author that wrote a book about it pointed out that one of the supposed demons that was possessing her, Sean brought it up, a, a F- fishman, Feishman, that was the disgraced yeah, priest. Yeah, uh-huh. So that, that priest lived during the late 1600s, early 1700s. And um, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about werewolves and when, you know, we were talking about the, the one town where the, you know, the, the priest kind of got around and, maybe did some naughty stuff with some nuns and, you know, he ended uh-huh, up being uh-huh. hanged for it. That's kind of how this guy was. Um, he was actually married, had children, um, but he ended up doing a lot of bad things and murdering a lot of people. So the diocese mm. did whatever they could to bury that knowledge. So for a 
19 year old, 23 year old girl who, you know, didn't live in the area that that priest died in. And it's like 300 years in the past. It's really hard for her to find that information because the priest doing the exorcism, it took him like a month to actually dig through the archive to find this guy's name and like who he was and what he did. So that kind of lends to the notion that that possession was really uh, real because she had all that firsthand knowledge that even the priests themselves had a hard time finding. Damn. Interesting. Man, there seemed to be a lot of that back there. A lot of priest diddling going on back in the 1600s. Yeah. Bunch of bastards abusing their power. Back then? (laughs) Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a topic we probably yeah, you can cut that out. Don't need to jump into on this episode, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, all right, nice, super, super sized episode for everybody. Let's get out of here, Steve. What do you want to plug? Cool. Check us out on Facebook, Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Check us out on Instagram, PXL Paranormal. Uh, there for all the visual aids and shares. Give us the likes, all that stuff, all that. Yeah, we're good. We're gonna record a we're gonna record a professional outro so we don't gotta do this every time. <laughs> every single time. Yeah. It's a fun pop quiz. Also, guys, please email us your personal paranormal stories. We got a uh, listener story episode coming up. I believe it'll be December eleventh. So send us your stories. The weirdest thing that's ever happened to you, the unexplainable, that time that you may have saw a ghost in your grandmother's garden. Yeah, we want to hear about it. We've already got some great stories lined up, but, you know, we're greedy, so we want more. So shoot us an email, send us a PM, a DM, whatever. Also, if you want, call us our Google voice number, 913-662-3144. You can leave up to a three-minute message, or if you need to, just call right back after it cuts you off and continue telling us your tale. And also, that episode is kind of going to be like an AMA, too. If you have any questions, we'd like to open up and ask us anything. So shoot us some of your questions. we got a couple of those lined up as well already. So, And then check out the rest of the shows on the Pixelated Sausage Network. Pixelated Sausage, Attack the Backlog, On Amazingly Baca, and Our 13 Nightmares, which the Scream episode should be dropping hopefully within the next week. Heck yeah. Presto, what you got, man? And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard... If you want to grow the best, most lush, curliest beard, more curly than Pazuzu's serpent dick, then check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And pick yourself up some scents like Dundee, Cedar, Bay, Rum, Sweet Tobacco, uh, Citrus, Mint, Fresh, and Classic. Hot damn. Yeah. And you know what? Christmas is around the corner. So do some uh, some shopping locally. Support local. Support the little guy. And check out Big Dobbs because he, of course, is a local, you know, self-made business. So do your best to shop local. Buy some stuff from some artists, some local shops, stuff like that. Heck yeah. And then uh, if you're in the Wichita area, check out CD Trade Post of Pawnee and Seneca. Stop and say hi to Leslie and the gang. Is that it? I think that's it. Anything else? No, that's it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers to the weird shit in the world. Those of us would love to talk about it. Stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown, 
tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.